You can always count on us to set you up the bomb, because we are Major Please, a hateful voice of the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm your co-host, Peter. Peter, before we launch ourselves into this week's episode, I wanted to just thank all of our listeners uh, who consistently tune in week in and week out, whether we are slogging our way through uh, someone to watch over me or nerding out to relativity uh, through our ups and through our downs. We appreciate you. And if you have a moment and you haven't uh, shared this hateful voyage uh, on social media, we would appreciate it. You know, wherever it is that you like to talk about your podcast, whether Facebook, Twitter, I don't know, Instagram, uh, smote signals, whatever you do, uh, that would be really cool. Uh, or you can always just review us on iTunes because that uh, actually does help other people see the show. So we'd appreciate it. We got some new developments going on in the world of Trek, for better or for worse. Yeah, and I, I, saw wanna... t- I saw the 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 very much better or for worse Voyager uh, parallel there. Bring the audience up to speed if there's anybody out there listening who doesn't know what's going on. Well, uh, the news was announced today, I believe, that a show that was previously announced, Star Trek Prodigies, which is going to be on Nickelodeon. It's going to be a kid-focused show or like, you know, kids to tweens to young teens, whatever, that kind of demo uh, was not only moving forward, but was moving forward with the involvement of one Kate Mulgrew, a.k.a. Captain Janeway. Um, it's an animated show, so it seems like it would be pretty easy to comp- uh, to, to implement. Uh, but she's evidently going to factor into the show in some way. What are your thoughts? I mean, it's going to be a kid's show, so I guess that's fine. I mean, she's an easy figure to pluck out of the Star Trek canon and kind of insert into a sort of mentor mother figure in that kind of circumstance. You know, just going to be is this going to be a Kurtzman uh, secret hideout production? I mean, I assume so, right? Like all this stuff is coming out of Kurtzman's shop. Yeah, but I mean, I thought he was basically his budgets had been cut and everything was kind of getting blocked. You know, I'm so gun shy about any pre-existing character or property coming back in like Lower Decks, which has gotten consistently better and better and better with each uh, new episode that's come out. I respect because it's a new property in a new place in the timeline, and you're not trying to retread old ground and, and abuse those old memories. You know, the mistakes are fresh, but the mistakes sit squarely on the shoulders of that show. Unlike Picard, which has taken, you know, our personal favorite thing uh, out into the highway and, jumped and clapped as it was struck and run over <laughs> time and time again by semis and I don't know, school buses. You know, I'd like to be more excited about the news that Janeway's coming back, but I'm just, I'm scared. I'm scared. I, I, I think I've come full circle on it all. Like I've gone from excited about this sort of thing to fearful of it to sure. I guess like this stuff just doesn't count to me anymore. Right. Like I've broken through the I'm angry at this part of my my grief. And 
it's it is what it is right if what for whatever reason i don't know if kersman's just got like secret nudes of all of the decision makers <laughs> at fucking cbs and he just can't get fucking fired i don't know i just don't get it uh but it's evident he's not going anywhere as much as uh you know we we want to hope and dream and believe that it might happen at some point and because he's not going anywhere star trek's gonna be stuck in this this awful spot where these creative minds that have no business touching the property are the ones guiding it. So if that's going to be the case, so be it, you know, can't take away all the other Trek from me. And if Kate Mulgrew wants to take a big fat paycheck to voice an animated version of herself, then uh, good for her. You know, certainly can't hate on that payday. No, no, like good, good honor. Like I hope, I hope all of the also ran Trek actors can go ahead and grab some of that glory for themselves, you know? Yeah, well, like you said, may- maybe in a certain way, uh, the pain and suffering has liberated us from the shackles of caring. And you know, yeah, there's something back- liberating about having watched Picard and watching something that you love so much, um, as you so eloquently put, get run over by a bus. And it's almost it, it, like you, Joe, are are a young Frank Castle and you've just watched your family be brutally <laughs> murdered. And you are now free of any common petty morality to reach out and and punish all of those who would wrong you or do ill by uh, by your code of conduct. If my fate is to be the Star Trek version of the Punisher, I would consider that. Actually, I take uh, that back. That would be, of course, seven of nine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, you know that that's another thing about Picard. It's just every week we you know, we see seven of nine and the growth of seven of nine. It's going to be even worse next season. And you get to see why this character is so beloved. And then in retrospect, you just get to think back at the stupid jabroni circus episode where they're dressing up as French people. And you like, see what they did to her character there. And it's just, uh, let's, uh, let's give people a peek behind the curtain. Uh, we've been discussing what's going to happen when things wrap here in the world of Voyager. Uh, if we're going to continue, and if so, which direction we're going to continue in. And something we encountered earlier when we broke off to regrettably cover Picard, the question came up, do we continue calling the Picard episode Star Trek, uh, you know, V'ger please, or or do we make something new? And I'm sure that's going to have to be a discussion we have again, but I'll go ahead and enter in a, a suggestion now. If we are to change from V'ger, please, that we just go with Star Trek Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> or just Trek Punisher. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like it. I like it. By the way, to let everyone know, uh, Peter and I are resolved to continue the show after Voyager, which is, you know, going to be soon. This is almost the end of season five. Um, so, you know, we've gotten probably another year worth of episodes to do. So, but, um, all things being equal, uh, we're very, very interested in continuing. What we'll review next. We don't know. It's a matter of continued discussion. Uh, but, uh, it's a, it's a good title idea that makes it a little bit differentiation. I like it. But here and now season five, episode 25 or 24, if you're still in the Netflix timeline. Warhead. So I I think I can sum this up as uh, Juggernaut, but decent, you know, like Juggernaut. But what if Bob Picardo? You know, like that's 
that's my my take on it right like that was, wasn't juggernaut the name of the last mm-hmm. episode or was it dreadnought it was dreadnought which dreadnought one was juggernaut was the, juggernaut I, was the garbage scow one where the that's right yeah 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 symphony right. of space pipes dreadnought was the one where balana had to defuse her space bomb baby um and this and we hated it and it was terrible and this was not to be confused with prototype where she has to destroy her space robot murder baby and of course then we had uh what was it alien isolation one with the other murderous hologram she has to defuse yeah the one where it's on the garbage scowl no it's on the it's on the waste disposal ship and it's like the waste disposal hologram or something Mm -hmm. um as yeah, it's it's the fourth episode that involves a murderous AI with Bolana, but this one has a lot more Bob Picardo, so it's pretty decent. That's that only that's the, the fourth. Bottom. I feel like there's been other situations where AI has tried to kill her. I think it's this is the fourth explicit. She is front and center with the murder AI. Mm, let's say fifth because the space trucker episode uh dark dark one right that's where that's the jekyll and hyde uh doctor where he oh darkling yeah dark but that was was wasn't that like a cast focused one though too listen man balana was strapped i'm sorry was was incapacitated laid out on the table being neurologically tortured by the doctor like it's a rogue ai balana's in the pain tank with again striking resemblances to this one I I agree. It is a better version of Dreadnought. I, this is not an episode that really needed to happen in my book. Um, I don't know who there has the fetish for Bolana being caught up in these things. Clearly, Harry Kim's front and center on this one. And spoiler alert, Garrett's the low point. <laughs> I think he starts out strong, but then sort of flounders a little bit. I liked I liked the version of him of I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to do this this away mission. And then like, yeah, I've been doing this for five years. Neelix, you cut me some fucking slack. I know how to beam down to a planet and investigate weird space shit. Uh, and then they just have him like take a weird level of ownership of all the bad shit that happens and, and kind of shoehorn him into a role that he's ill suited, which is like, as the, the negotiator, like the, the lead, the, the emotional lead, which is just not his thing. Yeah. Um, so we like, start, I think off- I would have liked this episode. I would have liked this episode a lot more if dreadnought had ever, never occurred particularly. I think I would have liked this episode more. Yeah. You know, I think just because it seems like such a retread of that, it's like, why? You know, like you obviously know you did this fucking thing. <laughs> you, you didn't forget you wrote that four years ago, did you? <laughs> Come on, guys. Well, you know, and let's jump ahead here for a minute. At a certain point in the episode, it becomes clear that this AI is attached to a weapon and is in fact is a weapon which could potentially endanger the crew and. Bolana's sitting there on all these, and, and we're joking about it, but the, uh, have we encountered a single AI outside of Starfleet that has not been a huge fucking problem to the crew? Like, the the staff decisions to continue on the course they go along here is just some real record-setting levels of stupid. 
and it results in just major eye rolling. So, you know, let's let's get into the the nitty gritty on this. The cold open. Pretty great. You got Paris frantically trying to beg Neelix to bend the rules and spot him some replicator rations, which it's good to see that those are still a thing and that we have not. You know, some episodes are replicating things pretty willy nilly, but it's nice to see them touch back on the the limitation of product availability and the duress the crew is still feeling out there. But he has forgotten about his anniversary with Balana, and he is now in a rush to try and put together a a real fancy dinner. And at first, Neelix is kind of blowing him off like, yeah, listen, you know, you fool me once. Shame on you. But, you know, after you swindled me on <laughs> letting you replicate a swimming pool full of pork rinds, I'm not helping you out anymore. It's a it's a very understandable premise for the for the audience, right? Like. Who hasn't had to rush to get a gift for someone that they had forgotten, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, this sort of this sort of like plot detail is always kind of just one of those like audience surrogacy moments. It and, did make uh, me think, though, <clears throat> had they not been in the position where they are, where everything is a limited commodity and replicator rations and all that, and if it is just another day on the Enterprise. Like how hard it is to give people gifts. You know, Tom had to spend weeks and weeks and weeks to or I'm sorry, Chakotay spent weeks and weeks to replicate that uh, pocket watch for Janeway back in. Was it year of hell? Right. Correct. Just it's hard enough to buy gifts in my life that people like, let alone when you could just replicate whatever your wildest fantasy is like. <laughs> I, I bet you there's a, a much better uh, gift value for like crayon drawings and, and arts and crafts with elbow macaroni and oh yeah like personal items or like historic items too right like that would be the other big get something that's actually real from like a time period rather than a replica a replicated copy very true that that would be kind of like the where the gift giving is at but if it's like some kind of disposable thing um that doesn't involve your personal time investment would wouldn't really have much gift value like tom replicating a dinner for bolana is pretty low effort but if he had went out and did the 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 cisco way and actually cooked it his damn self like that would actually be very meaningful because you know he could have replicated it but instead he decided to take the time to demonstrate his appreciation for his girlfriend by cooking or something but you know it's tom so he, he doesn't care that fucking much he just you know, has his uh, stereotypical like what are twenty sounding dinner sent to Polana's quarters, and then grabs a, a bottle of wine and a flower to and, and heads off on his merry way. Uh, but not before uh, Ensign Kin comes in and says, "Hey, I need a pot of coffee because I'm gonna be the captain tonight." He is manning the bridge on the night shift. We've talked about shifts. Uh, they've alluded before that he was running night shifts. I forget which episode. It's probably within the past five episodes. It was uh, night. I believe was the last time it was explicitly mentioned. He was on the night shift. God, was it night? So that's season five, episode one. It's been longer than I thought then. It's cool to see, right? Who are the who's who's the B shift? Who's the C shift? We get en- introduced to a very lippy Ensign Jenkins, who is a attractive blonde that we've never seen before. 
I'm wondering if she's going to pop back up again. But uh, Harry's a little tight wound sitting in the big seat asking for frequent status updates. And she just kind of spins around in her chair. It's like, listen, let me talk freely. You need to chill the fuck out. It's night shift. Nothing ever happens here. You kind of get in shades of lower decks, right? It's also interesting seeing how one ensign interacts with another ensign because, yeah, he's acting captain. But at the end of the day, they're the same, you know, rank and and whatever. He starts lecturing about like, you know, uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown and the woes of command. I want to be like, yeah, listen, I already know about all this stuff, buddy. You might notice the red on my shoulders and the gold on yours. <laughs> yeah. One of us is in the command division. The other is not. Um, they come across a, uh, they get they a distress a- signal. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So instant blonde lady gets a, <laughs> it gets a ping on the communications array to say they're getting a distress signal a couple light years away. Uh, Harry makes the, uh, command decision to head off to investigate, uh, without waking up his, his boss, and uh, they arrive on the scene. They can't find any uh, l- uh, life forms that could be uh, issuing said distress call. So at that point, they know they got to beam down. So th- he has to go uh, wake up his boss. And uh, we see uh, Chakotay uh, putting on his uniform as they're talking in the hallway. And Not a flattering look. <laughs> no. <laughs> and they start uh, discussing like, oh, hey, sorry I had to wake you up. But, you know, this is the situation. Chakotay's giving him an attaboy like, no, you did the right thing. You know, I don't want you kids uh, beaming into hazardous areas without a fucking chaperone, um, at least on the bridge. But you can handle the actually beaming down and investigating the, the hell caves this time, bud. And uh, that's where uh, Harry and Neelix and Ransom uh, Crewman uh, ran, ran, ransom crewman random crewman uh, apparently timothy lang is his name for some reason this guy got a fucking name he's been uh, around a lot i mean that to to voyager's credit they have done a good job using the same extras consistently uh next gen you know you had people transferring on and off the enterprise constantly Voyager, it's a closed ecosystem. And, uh, you know, especially listening to Delta Flyers, the relationships that these guys had out of character with a lot of these extras. It's pretty crew. So uh, Ensign Lang, or I will call him Crewman Jaw. Hell of a jaw. Just a massive mound of jaw. Woe be the fist that lands upon that, because I'm going to tell you which is going to break first. And it's not Neelix. It's him and the doctor and uh, Kim. And I like the doctor with a phaser, too. Did you did you note that? Yeah, I did. You're right. And Neelix talks to him in the hallway, but he doesn't beam down. You're right. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the doctor had a had a gat. Which, you know, only makes sense, right? Because there's a firefight. You might as well have the invincible guy have a gun. How many times have we said that? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time he shot up a room full of meat bags. <laughs> Future's end. Uh, but. Uh, they they beam down, and as noted, it's the classic planet hell caves, and they are taking a look around to see what's sending the distress signal, and that is when they come across a metal thing that is in the wall, and it's beeping at them. And look, like, what the fuck is this thing? 
And that's when the doctor says, oh, no, wait, I speak R2-D2. It's speaking <laughs> to me. And says it's intelligent and it's scared and it's wondering why it can't see or feel anything. And that's really leave the teaser. So they they set it up pretty quick, right? Like they go through Harry's in command. Harry finds the problem. Harry beams down with the doctor and, uh, and uh, crewman Jawface. And then they find the MacGuffin. Boom. Credits. The I can't see. I'm confused. I'm scared. Help me. Help me. Again, real shades of prototype there with him and Bolana. They get back. There's some quick banter about why they shouldn't tell this thing. It's in fact AI because they don't want to traumatize it. We've got some mashed together engineering psychology that I don't think really flies. And ultimately, Janeway has uh, gotten out of bed and first shifts reserve relieving third shift. And Janeway's like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, what's your orders? And she's like, well, you're the away team commander. You tell me. And it's like, man. Harry and anybody else who is at all reasonable should just be like, you know, I recommend we forget the shit and focus on getting home. Captain. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, oh, is it up to me? Yeah. Fuck this thing. Let's go home. Like, yeah, this we leave this. Got, sh- this has got space danger written all the fuck over it. We leave this piece of junk stuck in the wall where we found it and we mind our own goddamn business. Oh, yeah. yeah. So the doctors discovered it's in an artificial intelligence and that's worked out approximately never for us. So <laughs> fuck this. So let's let's go. Let's get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, easy call. The last time the doctor vouched for another AI, I seem to recall one of Bolana's hearts getting reached into and holographically squeezed in some sort of uh, photonic Mortal Kombat finishing move. I I think that this is an artificial intelligence, so it's not like it's going to starve. And if its batteries run out, whatever, whoever owns it can juice it back up. Let's go. Let's go. Because, you know, we'll find this thing and it's going to be like the holy object of some kind of like super space fascists. This is like it's how this is works out for us. We don't need this in our lives. But, but now instead, no. the doctor's like, but it's a, it's a person. It's an artificial intelligence. We have to help it, Howie. And he's like, kind of, OK, but only if we can beam it directly next to the warp core. But like, that's my compromise. With we can take fields. it. But we have to put it next to the warp core. But we'll put a shield around it. Not a cargo bay. Not the shuttle bay. Not not the rear patio that everybody has to go smoke on. No, right next to the goddamn warp core. As uh, usual, right? But it's where you have all your most dangerous weapons, your pipes, your knives, your yeah. your <laughs> your alien intelligences. Let's uh, take a moment here and peek in the old memory alpha and see who made this thing. Because this next shot, if I didn't know any better, I'd say Frakes' fingerprints on this warhead. Bran Branagh with some Kenneth Bewilder, John Kretschmer. Never heard of him. Uh, They beam this thing on the ship and we pick up to a walk and talk. That's pretty badass. It's Bolana and the captain, I think, and maybe Kim in there, too. And the camera is up in the Neelix Jonas Mortal Kombat fire murder loft. Yeah, the murder loft. A.K.A. Uh, Tom and Bolana's bang cave. 
mm-hmm. and the camera's pointing down and it tracks them as they walk through engineering, kind of zooming in on them as they walk through the part of the floor that's plexiglass and then a nice down the warp core shot until eventually getting over very innovative camera work and very out of place for your average Voyager episode. Um, and it's good enough that it distracts me from how ridiculous the situation is. <laughs> it's like such innovative camera moves also almost make me forget that this doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> so uh, they start trying to work on this thing. The doctor finally breaks the news to the unnamed AI that it is in fact AI and that they're okay. going. And also this is where we have of like a finally a, a nice clear shot of the thing. Right. And, you know, obviously we know the name of the episode. So maybe that's coloring our 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 view of the things a little bit. But I don't know how any person from the 20th, 21st, 22nd, 23rd or enlightened 24th century can possibly look at this thing after they beam it aboard and say, yeah, that's a fucking bomb, guys. That is one hundred and twenty five percent a fucking bomb no this is a this is a bomb this is the most bomb bomb i have ever seen no let's get rid of it because this is a bomb listen man this is the loosey-goosey sexy time 24th century Uh, i'm sure those guys saw and said you know what this is just a big shiny chrome jackhammer dildo (laughs) the the, most the the it is a borg dildo like this one seven of nine needs to get down it can accept no substitute. Yeah. You look at this thing and you say one way or another, this thing is going to fuck you. <laughs> and it probably runs on diesel. Well, bomb or explosive sexual aid, whatever it might be. Uh, it is, uh, you know, there they're trying to figure out what's going on. You get a lot of uh, the doctor talking to it. Um, and, you know, well, let's talk about the best part of the episode, which is obviously the doctor. Like, Picardo is called upon to play two different characters in this episode the doctor and then the bomb later on. And whenever you ask an actor to do that, you have to, you know, hope they're strong enough to differentiate their performances successfully. And he does a magnificent job. You know, like, you get the doctor and he's very, like, happy bubbly almost about this idea of like really like talking to this other artificial intelligence and you know he does a great job of just playing off this idea that he's speaking to an art you know an r2d2es with this thing and uh it's it's fun and it looks like you know we're going off in a happy trek direction and then the moment the bomb becomes a bomb and hijacks his program he's like turns around on a dime and is clearly someone else. And it's it's well done. In his part. The shame of the episode is that for you to get to that point, the doctor has to be so stupid. The doctor has never encountered another AI that did not, like I said, turn out sour and try to kill the crew and ultimately rope him into some feeling of shared liability and and how they got there. So there's a lot of lack of self-awareness to previous events which is hard to get around and i forget what the exact chain of oh oh, 
uh, it mentioned that it had a traveling companion. Seven of Nine and the captain scan the surface of the planet and they find a huge explosive crater. And they're like, oh, shit, maybe that thing isn't a big jackhammer dildo. Maybe it's uh, <laughs> a maybe bomb. Maybe the thing that looks like a bomb is a bomb. <laughs> How crazy. Uh and we need to probably deal with this somehow. And they have this meeting where it's my note in my notebook is um, this is a ship full of stupid people. Is everyone really this stupid? You've got a fucking bomb. You've again, dreadnought like everybody in this room has dealt with this scenario. Minimum multiple times already. Yeah, multiple times. And you're going to let the doctor who the captain barely acknowledges his people himself hoodwink everybody into thinking that maybe this is something we should fuck around maybe we should endanger the lives of the entire crew to dick around with the um the the siri google assistant autopilot for this fucking bomb a bomb that they now know is a weapon of mass destruction like it's not just like a small bomb it's a it's a bomb bomb. It's a nuke. And like, OK, so it's it's a it's a nuke where we, we could all die at any time if it decides to just blow itself up. Right. Um, so let's she, you know, Janeway's like, yeah, like, why don't we just fucking get rid of this thing? Right. Like, let's uh, beam it off the fucking ship. Like, Bolana's like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's just get it off the fucking ship. Seven and nine is like, yeah. Fuck this thing. It's a bomb. Let's get it off the ship. So I don't think it's that they're stupid, right? That's the immediately what most everyone on the ship wants to do the moment they find out what it is. It is only the doctor who's like, but it's it's a bomb, but it's also people. And everyone's like, oh, fuck you. God damn it. Really? Though, I mean, what, what this episode <laughs> was missing for me was like an impassioned plea by Bellana. Like, we have dealt with this before. Please do not. Just somebody. This is almost as infuriating as uh, 1159 when Harry tells a story about his uncle who did six months in uh, isolated, you know, flying the ship solo while everybody else was sleeping. And seven of nine didn't say a goddamn thing about how she couldn't even survive one month. Like, it's a hard pill to swallow, but they let the doctor rope him into this ridiculous scheme. And like you said, as they begin, they're going to take the AI out of the bomb and then throw the bomb away and keep the AI as a hologram. And also, too, while we're on the subject of putting mass murderers into holographic bodies, all the people who got all bent out of shape and nothing human when they made that Cardassian scientist. Into yeah, that, that was their own AI. That wasn't even alien tech bomb AI. It's like even when they make their own artificial intelligences, they fucking come back to haunt them. Although that episode was kind of stupid and how it, you know, like it bothered them, but whatever. Well, I'm saying nobody seems to care about, you know, oh, yeah, here we great. Let's let's take this bomb and we'll beam it into a fucking holographic representation of John Wayne Gacy and it'll be the same fucking you know, <laughs> mass murdering piece of shit, whatever. Um, they're in the middle of trying to transplant the AI program out of the bomb into a hologram that 
they're preparing and I don't know, someone spills coffee on the control panel or some shit happens and the bomb gets real cranky, becomes self-aware that it was a bomb and not just a friendly AI. And as you pointed out, uh, it takes over the doctor. At first, I was pretty stank about this. I felt like we got cheated out of a guest star. Um, but then having seen the badass performance that Bob Picardo gets to put on, I say, okay, you know, that it, it takes a lot to sway the doctor out of his normal lane. Um, so this departure feels pretty good. If you're going to do this sort of Jekyll and Hyde AI story, this is the framing device you want to use because you're using not only your best actor, but like this internal drama of the doctor as the best version of an artificial intelligence becoming self-aware and growing versus a much more challenging situation with that. And it's like the doctor was the easy version, right? And that, and it's not always going to be that easy. Like that's the the line for the story that they're trying to, to climb onto and and using one actor that you're familiar with to do that i think does help rather than a a guest star that you know doesn't matter again there's nothing original going on here and that's such a major detriment it's the framework of dreadnought and exactly what you're saying right now the jekyll and hyde they already did it in darkling this is this might as well almost be like a clips episode in a lot of regards uh, and if we sound down on it and poo-pooing it, it's, that is the reason. Like it's because we've seen all the parts of this before, and this is the best version of all of those stories. But because it's the third or fourth fucking time, depending on how you want to count it, we just don't care. So, to the credit of what you're seeing, though, uh, let's let's list off all the times that the doctor has malfunctioned or manifested other traits. Darkling, of course, where you're just dealing with basically the fucking devil who is completely unredeemable. And you remember by the end, like the Jekyll version of, uh, of the doctor still was kind of sweet on Kess, even though he was using Kess as a hostage by the end, he was still like completely just an unredeemable piece of shit who did in fact throw Kess off the legend and attempt to kill her. Um, you had, uh, was another time the doctor was off his rails acting goofy. It was the first time it was in season two where it was the first Barkley episode. Remember that one it was the first Frakes episode too, I believe where like he's having like a psychic psychiatric crisis mm-hmm. and uh, you know, his program is trying to basically terminate himself and he's got to like deal with like basically his psychosis so that he can continue. You had Sadist Doctor, courtesy of uh, Seska in Worst Case Scenario, who was very jovial but very vicious. Uh, you had the episode where he's malfunctioning and they had to like graft the Zimmerman program onto him so that he can continue. You had the one where he tries to kill Janeway. By because he thinks she's infected. Which one was it? Was that the one with the fucking space demon that tries to eat? Her yeah, soul? yeah, that wasn't actually the doctor. That was like the Delta yeah, Quadrant space devil that consumes all the souls that no one ever mentions ever again, even though it's probably the most horrifying thing. shit they've ever heard of. But it, it's an off the rails portrayal. There's my personal favorite, which was Living Witness uh, Android Doctor, who is deploying weapons of mass destruction himself, biogenic 
radiation or whatever that my, my, my point is that to Bob Picardo's credit, he has played the evil version of the doctor many, many different times. And each performance has been, I feel very distinct. And what's cool about this performance you get for this AI is that it's not evil. It's, it has strong conviction and it's, uh, wants to do bad things but at the end of the day it's just trying to do its job and it doesn't want to hurt any more people than it's programmed to actually hurt and i thought that that was a cool distinction and once we really get past the beginning boring retread stuff uh towards the later part of the episode where they start unraveling the mystery of why did he divert off of his course and some of those other things i think they do a good job muddying the waters to the point where it would have I was almost expecting the episode to result to to end with uh, the AI on the bomb having become self-aware enough to know that it did not want to kill all those people and willfully diverted off course and ignored its orders uh, because it had evolved and you know you know uplifted itself but I thought its ultimate conclusion was just as fulfilling I think the ultimate conclusion was better in the sense that it paid off an early line, which is when Kim is trying to appeal to the uh, bomb's intelligence about how it can grow and he starts using the doctor as an example. He says, you know, in response, uh, through all of that, did the doctor ever stop being a doctor? Yeah. And the answer, of course, is no. So like the, did the bomb grow? Yes. But did it stop being a bomb? No. And the manifestation of that is it was still a bomb. It just blew itself up for the right reason rather than for the, for a shitty reason. Yeah. The solution, uh, with, the solution was still an explosion. It was just exploding around different things. I yeah, it's, it's like the bomb character from the latest paper Mario game, the origami King. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I won't spoil any more of that except to say you should play that game. It's good. I was kind of sad we never got to see the holographic representation that Harry Kim wanted to put it in. Like, my fingers were kind of crossed, like, oh, God, please, I hope it's one of those volleyball players. Dr. Pell. I was hoping for Dr. Pell. Ooh. <laughs> you already had it programmed. Yeah, pull low, that one out of storage. Low, low, blow. That, that would have been fucking amazing. Uh, and wow, what a... That would have been an amazing episode. To, to confront the doctor with a past love who has unfairly been completely forgotten by the show. We should, during, you know, we've got our next, uh, our season five rip coming up because we're almost to the end of season five. When we get there, we should have a segment on not just season five, but like going through our favorite guest star or like semi-recurring Voyager characters. Because that's like a topic we really haven't discussed very much. And now there's enough meat on the bone where we can go through like the Ed Begley Jr., Space Boddicker, Dr. Pell, you know, Lon like Suter. all of Yeah, Lon Suter. Well, Lon Suter is like he's he's evolved into a different plane of existence. Emeritus. Into a, yeah, he's a, he's into a murder bird and he's flown away into the heavens. Uh, yeah, like I, I would love to discuss some of the uh, the forgotten favorites of of past seasons. So I, I agree. I, I like that idea and, and we should do it. Um, so this bomb has gaps in its memory. It doesn't understand 
why it diverted off of its course, why it never fulfilled its mission. I don't really understand the timeline of how long had passed between its initial launch and ending up buried on the planet. Uh, but there is a, a, you know, he takes over the doctor. He says, you were trying to shut me down. They're like, no, we're trying to help you. And he's like, well, I'm locking us down in sickbay and I'm taking Harry Kim. And wouldn't you believe it? Belana Taurus hostage. And I'm going to tell you, Captain, you are going to fly me to the planet I want to go to. And then you're going to transport me down to the surface and I'm going to blow these motherfuckers up. Look, look Daniel, at me. Look at me. I am the bomb now. <laughs> I was always the bomb, but, you know, I'm just making a point of it. You're going to fly me over there and then you're going to set these people up the bomb. And that's the way it's going to be. Or I'm going to blow your ship up, you know, <laughs> slide whistle. <laughs> wah, 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 mm. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? Playing taxi cab for a bomb was a stupid idea that was uh, decided by a room full of stupid people. So January starts flying towards the planet, trying to buy time. Um, Harry makes his initial plea to this AI saying, you know, you're more than the constraints of your programming. You already mentioned the line where Harry's like, you know, our doctor's grown and blah, blah, blah. And the bomb's like, you ever quit being a, a, a doctor? No. Well, you know, I'm not going to quit being a bomb. We're going to do this regardless. Uh, it's a strong showing. And I like that uh, Bolana gives him credit for it. But then you've got this pretty awesome B plot, which is Neelix makes a uh, a discovery that some parts he had traded for some doodads had the same circuitry pattern as what this bomb has. And they reach out to the merchant that Neelix had been dealing with and bring him in in an attempt to try and um, get more information. And I guess it's important to note at this fact that the bomb does not have any direct influence over the ship's systems, that he is only controlling the ship through threats and the hostage situation. So this trader that Neelix was uh, working with flies alongside Voyager and beams over. And yeah, this guy knows what's up. I like the makeup on this guy. I like his personality. You know, the I like idea his clothes. Is, he's a sharp dresser. Yeah, he's he's a good. Uh, very, in the grand tradition of Voyager, one shot aliens that are way look way more put together than a brief scene appearance would suggest. Uh, for I am reminded of the uh, alien professor who researched wormholes in the Janeway love interest episode. Bubble neck, yeah, man. Yeah, like guy like in this in the same vein as that fucking guy. Uh, this guy is pretty slick and comes on the ship, make sure that they're not being uh, overheard. And then is like, yeah, so I know all about what this fucking bomb is. I, all, I know about how the people who made them. Uh, the technology on this thing is pretty impressive. Uh, now, fortunately for you, I know how to disable it. And uh, all you got to do is give it to me. And don't worry, I don't want to blow anybody up, anybody up. But like all of its parts are all super pricey all by itself. So I actually can make more money disassembling the fucking thing than blowing someone up with it. It's a very, very, very reasonable offer that is completely unreasonably rejected. <laughs> like a the guy's. The guy straight out says, no, I'm not going to blow anyone up with it. I just want to take the parts. All you got to do is just let me take it off your hands. That's it. 
I, I, I couldn't take it. It was a <laughs> ship full of dummies. You've got a fucking thermonuclear warhead inside your ship threatening to blow your asses up unless you fly across the galaxy and deposit it down onto a planet of aliens you don't know so we can blow their asses up. Prime directive breaks all over the place. And this is the moment where Janeway decides that she's going to have these crazy uh, moral quandaries about dismantling this thing. And says, no, you know what? Fuck you. I'll just roll the dice. What's the worst that could happen, you know, in the absence of your your generous offer? You know, I work in the uh, the scrap. I, I, I appreciate scrap IT for a living. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I get what this dude's doing. He needs to like flash some industry certifications. Like, oh no, I'm R2. You can trust that I'm not going to betray our data uh, destruction policy. Like, she's like, well, I want to keep the most valuable part. And he's like, no, I, that's 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 the most valuable. Whatever. Like, if so, I'm going to take the, if I'm going to take the thing, that's the thing I want the most. Like, I'm not going to take your salvage unless I can have the part that's going to, you know, give me the most. And it's like, even if. You don't necessarily completely buy the guy's not going to turn around and sell the fucking thing as a bomb to someone else. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, even if that's like part of your worry. Deal with it later. Yeah. yeah, That is a solvable problem after the fucking bomb is off your ship and no longer in danger of exploding. Like once that problem is solved, now your your next problem is these guys might blow someone up with it, you know, and you can you can deal with that. You can determine if they are or if, if maybe you can learn not to give a fuck for a hot second. The you Delta could, Quadrant's the fucking Wild West. And you should just keep going like no, no dig, none of that. Apparently dig out John Reese Davies uh, and 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 turn back on, you now. Put, put a Leonardo da Vinci back on a zany uh, space pirate episode and it could be the end the blue guy on the top of the hill shooting everywhere but Janeway on her stupid tin pan flyer <laughs> stop it stop reminding me <laughs> that's how dumb this the sequence is uh, so she's like no fuck you get off my ship you blue motherfucker and he's like all right good luck and then he attacks Voyager <laughs> <laughs> then he immediately turns on them, attacks Voyager and tries to steal it. And that is, of course, the cue for the uh, bomb to show what a badass he is and uh, programs a antimatter surge to occur through the transporter beam that's trying to take the bomb and blows the fuck out of blue guy in his ship. So they all are very explodey. They're very dead. Joe, let me and, point out one more thing before we move past this traitor guy. This dude rolls up on Voyager cloaked. There's cloaks in the Delta Quadrant. This guy's a traitor. Anything's for sale. Get that fucking cloak. How, how was that on the <laughs> table initially? And it didn't dawn on him as they intrude and fly through everybody's personal space. that like... Yeah, maybe it'd be really great to have a cloak. Seven goddamn seasons of this fucking show and never once is Ed ever mentioned that maybe they should invest in a cloaking device. Every time we breach someone's space, they get really pissed off and terrible things happen. What if we just couldn't fucking see us? Maybe that would help. Yeah. Um. I'm thinking at this point in the episode that this is an ancient weapon. I'm thinking it's going to be like one of those classic next generation tales where like kind of like uh, Arsenal of Freedom, 
that the people who designed this race and also to uh prototype, you know, both of the creators uh races that made the robots who were in a space war were eradicated in mutually assured destruction eons ago. Uh, so I figured it was, you know, people who weren't alive anymore. But the doctor will I'm sorry, the the bomb doctor will go on to review sensor footage of the intended target and be like, yeah, see, it's still a manned military installation by soldiers with minimal civilian casualties. And like, I'm justified and and all that stuff. Like you say, though, the, 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 again, this is kind of like the Malon or Malorn as we will call them. (laughs) Who else is on this ship? You know, just too much to our fans dismay. We're we're personalizing. That's all. We're just spitting on it. So no one else will eat it. (laughs) there you go i like that backwashing it a little bit you know living in it um but you know who else is on this ship that just gets blown up and janeway's got no fucks to give because she made this kooky decision i'm not saying this traitor guy like ultimately wasn't potentially maybe a bad guy but i don't think his ship deserved to die now you've got real blood on janeway's hands because she was too good to take a good offer that was on the table um, and, and from here out, I want to kind of be dismissive, but at the same time, this is where the episode really starts getting good. Uh, did the, did the bomb become self-aware and decide to defer off of its mission? Um, did something else happen that, that took it out of the game? Uh, there's a cut to commercial sequence where you see dozens of similar warheads floating around in space they scan voyager and then pursue uh i thought for a moment maybe that bomb had been canceled and now the original people who shot the bomb out there have like other bombs looking to destroy that bomb so it never completes its mission and drags them back into war which is kind of close to the truth and now voyager is going to be at odds with these people and uh ultimately Harry Kim will start unlocking some of these damaged memory files. And we'll find out that this thing was never supposed to launch, that the war was over three years ago. The launch codes were issued by mistake and that a cease and desist order had been issued to all of the 30 some weapons, which were falsely launched. And this one uh, had thwarted its mission by forcing a crash land. The uh, I I did like the idea of like a, the pack of of sentient bombs distrustful of information that they shouldn't go do bomb things because of their militaristic sense of of uh, info uh, protection you know info security is very militaristic in a in a realistic way of like nah I don't believe it like that's what the enemy would do. That the bomb that we spend the most time with, as well as all the other bombs, are immediately distrustful of that. Um, it's very, uh, what was it, Hunt for, no, not Hunt for Red October, uh, Crimson Tide. The sub-movie Crimson Tide. You remember that one? Uh, with uh, Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington. Barely. Where, like, the, main, the main conflict is that Gene Hackman doesn't trust the partial stand down order that they received where Denzel Washington does. And there's this whole like uh, standoff slash mutiny on the ship. So they don't float the buoy. Yes. 
float the buoy. That that part of the characterization of the bombs is cool. Um, so the the ultimate point of the episode is that Harry succeeds in convincing the bomb to grow in his programming to uh, see the suffering that he's causing. And that there's an implication that his inhabiting of the doctor's program is allowing him to sort of experience compassion the way the doctor would. And as a consequence, he decides that, you know, he, he can't blow himself up. There is reason and evidence to confirm that, they weren't supposed to be deployed. And therefore what the, the doctor bomb needs to do is put an end to this situation by, well, blowing himself up and blowing himself up in destroying all the other bombs. And so he convinces Harry like, no, I'm there. I get it. Your speeches have finally worked. And I am ready to expand my programming by expanding my payload onto the faces of all of my bomb brothers and sisters. Yeah, there's a, a little subplot we skip over where they're going to do this this jailbreak. Oh, yeah. By the way, surprise, this is a jailbreak episode, too, because we got hostages. Um, they're going to create this a bunch of sensor horse shit make it seem like they're hitting mines. Seven of nine's going to require medical attention in the sick bay. And then she's going to try to like Borg pixie dust, um, nanite the, the bomb. And in a very surprising show of force, the bomb overpowers the, the Borg fairy dust and shocks the fuck out of seven and nine who gets to lay there suffering for the rest of the episode. It was for once the Borg Pixie Desk not working was nice, you know? Very nice. Very refreshing. Because it's rare to see uh, Seven of Nine fail so spectacularly. It's a fulfilling ending. The exchange between the Doctor and Harry Kim. Uh, the, The bomb AI does a lot of growing in a very small amount of time, and I think it's easy to genuinely feel sad to see him realize that the only way to express his newfound sentience and freedom is to go on a suicide run, but the stakes are obviously there, and it's a very neat and tidy way to wrap up the episode and return us to homeostasis. I mean, it's a classic bottle episode. Nothing really changes in the end. There's no lasting consequences except, you know, Harry Kim, you know, pointing out that the time he's put in charge, he beamed a bomb on board. Um, probably the the only honest chuckle this episode got out of me. Uh, but, you know, it, it it's fine. It was fine, except that it was polluted by... How many times has this happened to them? The lack of any self-reference or self-awareness to that, which is the fact this comes on the heels of probably the best self-referential episode of Voyager ever is jarring in that regard, right? Like we came from relativity that relies on shit that happened all the way back at, you know, in season two uh, to, to today versus this episode where over and over and over again, this Voyager has been traumatized by artificial intelligences and they just forgotten every time that's ever happened. Um, somehow, somehow. So what are we watching next week, Peter? 
we're at the end of season five, Joe. Moving into uh, season five, episode 26, Equinox part one. And we've got, speaking to Tom and Bellano, it looks like they're up there in their dry hump cave. The uh, Jonah Memorial Graveyard of Death, upper uh, warp core bunker. Voyager encounters the Starship Equinox, a heavily damaged Starfleet vessel trapped in the Delta Quadrant by the same alien who brought Voyager here. Wow. Uh, that is legit exciting. Um, that is hot on the heels of hope and fear, which is another, we find another Starfleet vessel adrift in the Delta Quadrant. I have not really heard the name Equinox before, so I'm very curious if this is in fact going to be a legit Starfleet vessel as the Netflix capsule promises or if this is another alien trap or some other crazy nonsense well let me let me say only this it is a legit starfleet vessel this is actual starfleet also trapped in the delta quadrant that voyager finds i you know i can't help but have memories of battlestar galactica uh dug up when it's yeah like when they find the pegasus yeah i don't think that's accidental (laughs) you know that was that was deep enough in bsg that they had kind of gotten into their own routine um the captain's law was word and they had their own ecosystem and when they found the pegasus which had admiral um kane no God damn, Rolaren, Admiral Laren. Yeah, Admiral Rolaren, but yes, Admiral Oh, Kane. God, is there any way she could be the, the captain of the Equinox, too? How good would that be? <laughs> Michelle Forbes could be as many things as she wants to be. Absolutely. But, the, the, yeah. the impact that had on the power dynamic of the show and, and clouded the political situation. Like, I can't imagine that Equinox is going to be a enduring part of season six and season seven so something's going to have to happen that gets that ship in and out of there but i'm just i'm i'm crazy curious and and really looking forward to this and what it is going to do to the voyager crew to find someone else out there that can hold them accountable to the standards of the federation What's the viewpoint going to be on the fact that this crew is uh, littered with Maquis terrorists? Uh, decisions Janeway's made that have brought them to this point? Like, so many questions. Hey, it's going to be a good time. Uh, these are some of Voyager's, you know, both this and part two are some of Voyager's most notable episodes for sure. Uh, the Lots to talk about uh, after both parts uh, for certain. And it's funny you mention BSG and Pegasus and all of that, because it turns out that that is more relevant than you think, but maybe not in the way that you're thinking. Um, the, the story that you may not know is that Ron Moore, having wrapped on DS9 at this point, was brought over to do Voyager. He actually writes some episodes in season six, early season six, and things do not work out. And he ends up off the show very quickly. And his he really liked the premise of Voyager. But was disappointed in how they were making it too safe for network television. 
And that is when he came across the idea of rebooting BSG as if to say, I'm going to do Voyager except with blackjack and hookers. That's legit what happened. That's legit how it went down. (laughs) I was about to ask you, actually, because I knew that Ron Moore had uh, involvement on Voyager and that it was brief and sour. And you just answered all the questions I was going to ask you. So this is uh, this is going to be potentially prototype. Prototype Pegasus. Very interesting. And to be fair, the Pegasus episode was in the original 1970s uh, Battlestar Galactica as well. So it's not like it was a brand new idea. Um, But all of this coming together around the time that Ron Moore was getting involved in Voyager is just not was not a coincidence in terms of why it all of a sudden became relevant to one of the best sci fi television shows ever just a few years later. All right, we look forward to talking about Equinox Part 1 when we see you next week. And then, of course, you can expect our Season 5 Rest in Peace live stream after that. Until then, take care. <laughs>